Hi, everybody. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Today, we're going to talk about two things, liquidity and diversification, uh, because both of these things kind of come up quite a bit when talking about implementing an infinite banking strategy where there's usually some concern about liquidity in the early years of, a, of funding and capitalizing a life insurance policy. And then I think there's a, a misunderstanding of diversification where people might have some qualms or some concerns about the returns you might get in a whole life policy, or they might just think that you don't need it because they're already diversified in whatever their investment portfolio, whatever that looks like. And John Montoya had some great talking points before we started the show about true liquidity. And do you actually have liquidity with a typical investment portfolio that's more securities-based? John, do you, could you jump into that again and talk a little bit about what you meant by that? Yeah, absolutely. So I've heard it said that compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. But the problem is, where can you actually get compounding interest without interruption. I think if there's a ninth wonder of the world, it's uninterrupted compounding interest. And so the question is, where can we actually find that sacred place where we can accumulate cash, always have access to it, we can leverage in and out of it whenever we need to without creating a tax consequence? Where, where can we develop a portion of our portfolio where we have that true liquidity? in and out whenever we want it, whenever we need it, no matter what happens in life, no matter what opportunities come our way, we can seize upon it. And so that's really where IBC fits in. And until someone has an IBC plan set up where they can take advantage of this capital that they've diligently earned and saved in the right place, they're always going to be interrupting that flow of money and interrupting that compounding curve. So that's that's really what I'm talking about when I mention liquidity with people. I think that's super interesting. And I love the ninth wonder of the world. Like many things, I think most people only focus on the accumulation phase of a typical retirement plan or financial plan, if you will. And so when we talk about liquidity, people are kind of looking only at what's going to happen with their liquidity right now as they're accumulating. But what about the liquidity during the distribution phase? How liquid are you really if getting access to the money you need might bump you into a higher tax bracket and ruin the whole idea that you had in the first place of saving up and hoping you're going to be in a lower tax bracket and deferring all that tax during the accumulation phase? So I think there's a, a liquidity conversation that needs to happen on the second half of any type of uh, retirement plan. And then, you know, of course, passing along to the next generation, what's that going to look like? How liquid is that? that starts to create some liquidity concerns in terms of generational wealth transfer. Are people gonna have access to that money in order to pay estate taxes, final expenses, that kind of thing. So I think there's some interesting stuff to look at if you you know, look out, as Nelson said, look out a minimum of 70 years instead of 10, 15, 20 years. The other side of liquidity that I wanted to cover on this podcast was the concern about the liquidity in a cash value life insurance policy, a whole life insurance policy, where during the early years of funding a policy, that's when 
the costs happen in a life insurance policy. And so we call this the capitalization phase of a life insurance policy, where it is true in the first few years of a policy, you'll have less than $1 of available cash value for every dollar in premium that you pay. And so people will look at those first few years of a policy and see that they don't have, you know, they can't have everything that they paid in premiums available on day one in cash value. And they'll start to look at that as like a a lost opportunity cost of, you know, what they could have used with those dollars. And, and it is true that there, of course, is a lost opportunity cost on those early, the early funding years of the policy where you don't have all the cash value, but that only lasts for maybe five years. And it's kind of like, well, what about the next 50 years that this policy is going to be going, right? Where, what about the lost opportunity cost on that? What about the lost opportunity cost on the next 50 years of the policy where every dollar paid in premium results in two, three, four dollars of cash value growth for that same year? It kind of boggles my mind a little bit when people get hung up on the first couple of years of a policy and kind of can't get past the sort of linear save up and spend model where they save their money and then spend it on something, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, making a large purchase or buying another asset, whatever it is. But like once a policy is capitalized, infinite banking concept infinitely increases the pool of liquidity. So rather than like saving up and spending it, basically you save up and then go back to zero. Well, what we're doing here is we're saving up, we compound it, then we leverage it and reuse it. If we could just get out of our own way in terms of just seeing those first couple of years, it really becomes a very powerful cash asset where you, you'll more than make up for the lost opportunity cost over the longer period of time that you have to use that infinitely growing cash value. I think there's another intangible component to what you're talking about there. And I think it's peace of mind because when I think about my situation and where I'm at with IBC, I feel like I'm so much at peace because I know that I have access to cash values and and really this tax-free asset class that is the foundation for everything that I'm doing. I don't sweat the the day-to-day gyrations and what happens in the market. And Peace of mind, I, I can't I can't really put into words how important that is. People do struggle in the short term in, in getting over the, you know, what, what we might refer to as a break-even period. You know, when when are we gonna actually break even with what we've put into the policy? And that's perhaps the the most challenging aspect. But you're right. If if people have the right point of view, the right perspective where they're looking out 10, 20, 30 plus years, and they can get to that point in time where they've been diligently capitalizing their policies. All I can say is that it's a peaceful existence. And Nelson would say that over and over again. It's such a peaceful existence to know that your assets are safe and always accumulating. That intangible aspect, I I don't know if, if we really cover that much, but I can certainly speak to it from my end. It's it's reassuring knowing that I can wake up tomorrow, next week, next month, or even next year and know that I have a basis within my plan that allows me to sleep at night, knowing that no matter what happens in the economy, whatever black swan event might come our way like it did in the past year, everything's going to be okay. That's awesome. 
this lifestyle, it's like a, it's a happier life. When you can have guarantees in one area of your life, all the other areas where there's more risk, it's not as big of a deal, you know, because you can roll with those punches and things that happen. And on the liquidity side as well, it's interesting because getting back to living a, a happier, more peaceful life, you know, I see a lot of like real estate people get into real estate because they want to get away from like trying to chase high rates of return in the market. You know, they have a little more control. They're buying a real asset. But then when it comes to thinking of where they're storing their cash, they kind of go back to that chasing return mindset where they can't imagine not putting their money into a real estate asset because they think it's a, a waste of money, but they're missing out because they're always just saving up and spending down. They're always saving and spending rather than reusing and getting every dollar to do the job of more than $1. I think it's an interesting thing because you you do see those people that are, they're waking up from the you know, Wall Street hustle kind of thing. And then, but then they, they can't quite get away from it because they just can't imagine putting their money somewhere where it's not earning a higher, quote unquote, higher rate of return, but missing the fact that if you can safely use leverage, meaning life insurance, cash value and policy loans where the underlying collateral of the loan is guaranteed by the lender, by the way, thanks Ryan Griggs for writing that article amazing concept. If you can, if you have that, it's like, you know, all, all this other stuff, like you're, you know, chasing these high rates of return, like you can dwarf those rates of return when you have this safe ability to use leverage of your, of your cash. Yeah. Something that comes to mind is uh, FOMO and YOLO, you know, <laughs> fear of missing out and, and you only live once where people are trying to get rich quick and they have that mentality like, oh, I got to jump in on this. Otherwise I'm going to miss out. Right. And, you know, th those type of decisions can really set you back because you over leverage and you don't put yourself in a position to make prudent decisions because you're not set up in the right way. IBC is phenomenal because you can actually sit back and assess the situation and be ultra picky with the type of investments that you ultimately want to make, knowing that cash is king. And you know, if you do happen to miss out on this opportunity, there are going to be plenty more opportunities down the road because when you have access to cash, those opportunities will find you. And I think that gets into the second portion of our, of our talk today, which is around diversification. And just like liquidity, diversification, most people kind of think they have liquidity and diversification, but most people don't really have it. Most people don't really have diversification. When people think about diversification, they're usually thinking, yeah, I'm diverse. I've got money in this technology sector and money in biopharmaceuticals and how many different sectors can you be invested in? And that, that's the thinking that people have, right? I, I'm diverse. I've got my money in, in five or six or more different funds. And, and as you would say, John, compared to what? You're, you're diverse compared to what? What does that actually compare to? Compared to what is a great thing. We're comparing essentially stock portfolios, securities portfolios, investment portfolios, whatever the term is, and they just have a bunch of stocks. It's like all in Wall Street. By the way, when they 
when they also buy bonds, a lot of people are now getting into these bond ETFs. And so when they buy bonds, what they're actually buying are bond funds, which kind of trade like stocks, but they're not like stocks. So you can run into some real liquidity issues you know, if things, if things happen, you know, by the way, bonds were affected in the last two downturns as well. Guess what else was affected in the last two downturns? Real estate. You get into this situation where a lot of people think they're diversified, but they're really, everything they have is in assets that can be affected during macroeconomic cycles, especially on the downside of these cycles. Would it be a bad thing to have a truly non-market correlated asset that is truly diversified, that is guaranteed to grow every single year, how would that be bad? Well, it absolutely wouldn't. And so the the key word that I heard you say is non-correlated asset. You need to ask yourself, when it comes to my overall plan, how much of it is tied to the stock market and the real estate market? Because if the, the main portion of your plan or even 100% of it, is all tied to the whims of the markets, then you absolutely need to focus in on other asset classes like cash values with an IBC plan that are a non-correlated asset. Because when you have these type of assets, you can weather the storms uh, when they do come up and you're, you're able to actually profit when there are situations that, you know, you can take advantage of where everyone else is running because there's blood in the streets. So having an uncorrelated asset as part of your overall plan, that's really what we're talking about when we talk about being diversified. You can always add more sectors to your diversification and your stock and bond funds, but you got to be sure that you also add some non-correlated assets to your overall plan too. What about your tax bracket? Are you diversified that way? You know, what's your what's your distribution going to look like when you hit retirement? And what if you did a great job and built up this huge retirement account using qualified plans, qualified money, and now all of a sudden you hit, you know, age 70 and you hit the the required minimum distribution phase? Well, <laughs> what happens then? Does that Will your required minimum distributions bump you right into the tax bracket you didn't want to be in, that you weren't planning on being in? So how are you diversified that way? Is everything in tax deferred? Do you have anything in, in tax, you know, tax free? How is all that working? Is everything you have in tax deferred and taxable accounts? Do you have any strategies to offset tax when you get into retirement? What strategies could be put in place to offset the tax that's going to be due on some of these tax deferred accounts or even taxable accounts. So those are some of the other things that I think we want to think about where I think, I really think a big problem is everyone just looks at the tax deferred part of it, you know, as they're accumulating for retirement. And then once they get there, they really just don't have a plan at all to mitigate some of those taxes or to even stay under the tax bracket that they were hoping they'd be under. So it's a kind of a one-sided plan where they're not looking at the they're not looking at the full the full boat. Yeah, I would say the the type of planning that you're talking about just there with the 401k's and IRAs, that's the the government's planning for you. And you know, they they're basically anticipating all that tax revenue based off 
your diligent retirement savings. So really important. I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, absolutely. You want to be diversified, not just a, across a different asset classes, but in different tax strategies as well. Because if you find yourself really solely dedicated to your 401k and that's your retirement plan, you're, you're overly weighted in a fully taxable account once you hit retirement. And if we're talking about diversification, there is absolutely no diversification in that model. Yeah. And you know, how diversified are they going to keep their diversified portfolio once they get into that retirement age? You know, most people are going to start putting those into safer asset classes, AKA lower rates of return. But by the way, those aren't even really safe in a total market correction. Like we saw in 2008 and 2000, those are going to have problems as well. That actually kind of goes back to what we were talking about with bonds. And I think, you know, you had a note here, John, about, you know, replicating a bond portfolio with whole life cash values, a truly non-market correlated asset. And if you, if you look at cash value growth, I mean, it really kind of puts bonds to shame right now, just from a, from a yield perspective. And it's a truly non-market correlated asset. And, and the reason that can happen is because of the actuarial math behind how insurance works. That's how they're able to get, you know, some of these higher rates of return on, on such a safe asset because it's not really a rate of return. It's an actuarial calculation. Even if you just did that, I mean, just if you just replace some or all of your bonds with whole life insurance, how much better of a situation would you be in where you get, you'd get better growth on that money. And then you'd have all, you'd also have this big death benefit, you know, to, to pass along and create some other tax advantages later on. Yeah, not only that, but I mentioned leveraging in and out of it. You can do that with cash values and a whole life policy. You can't do that with a bond portfolio. Uh, right. Like you mentioned, there is the additional death benefit, uh, but also to chronic illness rider. You know, you, you can't do two out of six activities of daily living. You get access to a percentage of your death benefit. Well, tell me what bond portfolio gives you those added benefits. You won't find Completely. one. Disability waiver. Right. Bond portfolio won't, won't give you that either. Right. So that, that's one of the reasons why we call whole life insurance an and asset. And, and there's really a reason why, you know, it's not called death insurance. It's called life insurance. And, and we forget about that because we're so focused on the death benefit. We, we can't see the forest through the trees. But a whole life policy has all these incredible benefits that no bond portfolio in the world can ever replicate. Imagine showing up on the day of retirement and let's say you had $2 million in assets plus a $2 million death benefit without having had to spend any more money to get there. That's what you can do. You could either have the $2 million or you could have $2 million plus a $2 million death benefit because you have use of that cash value the entire way. You can have both of those things and imagine how much more powerful someone's uh, retirement would be having both of those things in place with a guaranteed permanent death benefit, man, light years ahead of just the $2 million portfolio. Sign me up. I love it. It's a matter of educating yourself on the better options that exist out there because they, they do exist. They are kind of hiding in plain sight right? We, we've got all these benefits sitting within the wrapper of a whole life policy. 
and you would be none the wiser uh, to know about these things because there really is no financial education at any level. You know, if you're W2 and you go work for a new company, they don't talk about the benefits of whole life and how it comes with all these different strategies that you could deploy depending on what you want to accomplish. What, the, what they're going to recommend is sign up for their 401k. In fact, it's, a, it's actually mandatory. You, you automatically are enrolled before you can even decide to opt out. So yeah. there is no financial education. You know, the, the financial community out there is all pushing the same thing. And as a result, you, you really have to stumble upon infinite banking through dumb luck or or maybe you're, you're fortunate enough to have a, a friend, neighbor, or family member who's practicing IBC and is saying, you got to listen to this. You got to read this. You got to do this. And they're urging you and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? You're here. You're listening. Now it's time to take advantage of the information that we're sharing with you so that you can put it into a plan for yourself because this stuff all works. It's contractually guaranteed to get better and provide you with that peace of mind that I mentioned earlier on the show so that when you get to your later years in life, you can have a peace of mind knowing that all the things you did a decade ago, two decades ago or more, they're all working out like they should and they will because you have these contracts set up You've got the liquidity, you're diversified into non-correlated assets, you're diversified into all the different types of uh, tax buckets that exist, taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-free, most importantly. Take advantage of the information that's out there. Take advantage of an IBC practitioner like John or myself. Take advantage of the information. Absolutely. I think that's a, a good segue to the, to the end of this podcast. So, you know, if you, if you do want to take advantage of it, you can go to infinitebanking.org, find an authorized IBC practitioner on there. You can, of course, go to the fifthedition.com and book some time with John or myself. Either way, you have some information available to you if you, if you want to learn more. So uh, thanks, John. Good talk today. Likewise. Thank you, everyone.